You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Solar A Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring, and Wattwatches, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use. Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast. Uh, You're tuned into Energy Insiders and my name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and joining me as usual is David Leach from ITK. How are you, David? Uh, I'm well, Giles, and you asking me that reminds me of uh, the the same question that one psychiatrist asked another in in the street of New York uh, uh, and the answer was, uh, how am I? Okay, uh, probably, got, probably got that. Uh, with that, I'd uh, like to uh, uh, introduce well, our special guest today. Yes, indeed. Look, I'd like to welcome um, Audrey Zewerman, the uh, chief executive of the uh, chief executive officer from the um, Australian Energy Market Operator. Th- um, thanks for joining us, Audrey. Sure. Hi, Giles. Hi, David. I hope you got that joke. You're from New York, I think. But uh... well, I got the <laughs> joke. Whether it was funny was another issue, but I did get the joke. <laughs> Very good. Look, there's so much to talk about, and we do appreciate you spending some time with us. Um, you know, things like the Tesla Big Battery, the National Energy Guarantee, of course, um, grid management plans, demand response, and the future of energy. But I'd just like to start with this one. In, in researching um, for this interview, I actually had a look at your Twitter account yesterday, and I noticed that you'd a couple of retweets um, from people in America expressing frustration and um, despair about the state of energy policy under the Trump administration. And it did make me wonder... Is there any difference between what's happening in the US and what's happening in Australia, given that we see the same divide between the conservatives and the progressives and those that can see a clean energy future and those who struggle with it? Well, you know, I, th- I would say it's uh, certainly an issue in the US, um, probably an issue in elsewhere. But, you know, the, the challenge in, in terms of where the frustration in, in, is in the US is that uh, there was a huge amount of uplift uh, among the energy uh, environmental policy, uh, what's it called, the Environmental Protection Agency, to put in what we call, what people call the Clean Power Plan, which was the, for the first time it was going to be a national carbon. And um, it almost got over the line, and then the administration changed. So I think you're, what you're seeing in the Twitter is, is absolutely a, a great deal of frustration. And you know, in the other thing, though, I think is to recognize there's a magnitude of difference. I mean, in the U.S., there are over uh, 4,000 different utilities, uh, 52 regulators, an environmental regulator. So the amount of coordination that actually was going on to try to get it a, a um, national envi- uh, policy was huge. And I and I know a lot of people are quite depressed. But on the other hand, uh, it's very clear under new, uh, under United States law that energy resource decisions are, are a state decision. And so that's why you see a number of states like California, New York, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Colorado, all proceeding with their policies. And that's, that's not unusual because there's nothing in the federal law that uh, allows the federal government to determine what kind of resources get built. That's always a state issue. So in that way, Australia and U.S. are very similar. Let's get on to Australia then, the Australian policy environment. I guess the big thing at the moment is the National Energy Guarantee. Um, it probably wasn't a great start to um, this proposal. Um, there's lots of questions about the modelling, etc. Now, I understand that the Energy Security Board can't set emissions targets, but 
How confident are you that the main design issues can be addressed? And I'm thinking here about the concerns around the, um, the power of the incumbents and whether that will be reinforced by this contracting nature and whether it can actually attract um, new investment because the modelling didn't suggest there was going to be much of it. I think that there's um, a lot of you know, focus has been on the Energy Security Board's recommendation to the Commonwealth and a lot of parsing of the language. But, but uh, the chief takeaway coming out of the Energy Council meeting was that the Energy Council said, look, we definitely need to progress an idea. And the understanding that I think is really critical is that as we move towards the transformation of the system, to one that is uh, increasingly with more asynchronous resources, increasingly with more distributed energy resources, and this is something AEMO obviously is acutely aware of, we have to start to begin to understand how do we operate a system like this in a way that delivers optimal results. That does, and because it's a, it's a different engineering problem. It's not, that's not a uh, and just to be very, very clear about this, when I say this, to say it's different does not mean it's, it, there's any judgment. It's just recognizing it's a very different technological issue. And we, ne we need, as, an, as an, uh, a country, to understand that because this is where, the, frankly, the entire industry is moving uh, simply because of the economics. So, so one piece for, for us in looking at it was to start really grappling with the advanced engineering co uh, concepts that we're going to need to start dealing with and then how do we put that into a market is going to be very important. And then the emissions policies that are coming out, you know, the, the, certainly the Commonwealth is, is the legal entity that has to look at how to meet Paris. But the other issues that we, we're dealing with are the very operational issues of how the cost of renewables, which are changing and, go and, and really creating business model challenges for people to put in uh, dispatchable, flexible resources, we have to start dealing with in the market because we want to make sure that we are sending out those right investment signals and that we get the full complement of resources and operational rules that allow us to operate the market and the system in a way that produces the best uh, results from an, an efficiency and reliability perspective. Are you confident then that it can be structured in a way that, that, that can actually um, sort of encourage new competition? Because that's been one of the principal concerns that's been laid out yeah. by various people. Well, I, th I think it's very clear that what the Energy Council of COAC told us to do is go out and consult. And for me, the consultation process has to be a broad consultation process that includes certainly traditional incumbents but new players so that the outcome of the design that we take back to the Energy Council is one that uh, really you have a, the much broader tent of energy players being able to endorse and say, yes, this can create a mechanism that we can invest against, and this is and, and for EMO, of course, and this is a mechanism that we can use as well as these other act actions that we need to take to be able to make the market more efficient. I mean, again, and I've, you know, you've heard me say this a number of times, the, the, the opportunity exists and the challenge that exists is we went from a very homogenous system to one that is heterogeneous in a sense is that we have a lot more variable resources, a lot more distributed resources. They all have different attributes and AEMO's job is to make sure that we're able to co-optimize those. And that, that's, a much, uh, that's, that's a somewhat more comp much more complex issue. 
I would say not somewhat, it's a much more complex issue that we had to deal with previously. So we need to make sure that we're maturing the markets and we're maturing how we operate the markets and how we operate the system as the transformation is occurring so that the mechanisms that we use to both design the markets and, and conduct the system don't themselves become barriers to entry. I, I think you've hit the nail right on the head there, uh, which is probably not surprising. But I mean, I, I guess the question we all have is whether the mechanisms that have been seem to have been just chosen out of the blue are actually the right ones. Um, you know, I compare that around the world, uh, uh, there seems to be more different markets, but evolving like a market for, I don't know, a day ahead market, a, a market for stra uh, strategic reserves, a fast frequency market. Whereas here, uh, we run the risk of trying to stick with our energy only market and trying to, which always has a price signal coming too late, if I can put it that way, for the new investment. Um, uh, whether, in fact, the process that, that, that's been adopted is better than, say, having state based uh, uh, reverse auctions where, with, with more centralised planning. And, and perhaps you could comment on that, but I just wanted to more immediately ask, one of the things you had asked, suggested in your advice to the Commonwealth Government, which I know wasn't to the COAC necessarily, was uh, about a strategic reserve of 1,000 megawatts. Can you tell us, is that progressing? And if so, what mechanism will it progress under? Um, yes, yeah, so, so first of all, uh, we, you know, what we had a great deal of good experiences coming into the current summer with the work that we did uh, with ARENA on the uh, demand auction, demand response program, and then this long-term RERT. And uh, so AEMO's been working uh, to develop a strategic reserve mechanism. Uh, our, our hope is to advance that over the next uh, couple of months, for uh, both with the ESB and then determine the right process after that. But the, the we, we definitely need one. And I think, you know, ideally, uh, for me, the, this is the strategic reserve is, you know, I look at it as an insurance policy is that you're really saying you want to make sure that if for those few hours of the year that you're really wor you're concerned about that you can have uh, very high uh, loads combined with loss of units over a short period of duration that you're able to manage those efficiently and with the emergence of demand-based resources, they become an obvious buffer against that. And so question will become, let's have a strategic reserves. And then as uh, the Finkel review identified, let's also develop out our demand response capabilities. Because if we have a very effective demand response market, we may not need a strategic reserve going forward because the capability of being able to modulate dem demand, i.e. through managing pool palms, uh, reactive power better, using our industries better, all those things that are non-disruptive but very effective, uh, becomes the great best reserve because it's it's there and what you're doing and then one of the ways I've been thinking about it is let's call this the new energy sharing economy just like Uber or everything else as people have invested in these resources and sometimes we just need to borrow them for a little bit and that avoids someone else having to go out and buy a new car and so let's let's think about that in that way and make sure we're making uh, the most productive use of all the energy investments. That sounds great. I, I just note that there are all sorts of regulatory impediments to that, particularly, you know, the separation of networks and transmission from generation and retailing makes it very hard 
to get sharing because not everyone can experience the benefits. And, and, and this brings me on to another question. One of the things in the Finkel report was uh, a suggestion that we have an actual national strategic plan that would look at all of these uh, issues, including you know behind the meter and in front of the meter sort of economics and and uh, near to my heart transmission um, and developing renewable energy zones. I wondered if you could maybe just talk a little bit about how AEMO is thinking about that and what the process from here will be. Sure. Well, you know, one of the assignments uh, coming out of Finkel is for AEMO to look at uh, energy planning, national energy. And we, we're looking at it as an integrated system. It's transmission along with the renewable energy zones and, frankly, gas, because we have to integrate that in as well. Uh, and it'll, it'll evolve over time because these are complex and uh, take a bit of time to develop. But we are uh, working, we have a team that's working on the uh, first plan, which we would expect, we're expecting to deliver in, in June of next year. And that will include cons uh, identification of a, a number of potential renewable energy zones and also uh, looking at some of the transmission that could be built to actually create a much stronger backbone that will both support the zones but also help us, I think, drive better, better efficiencies across the entirety of the NEM. Uh, I, I really look forward to that. I personally think it's the most essential building block. But I just wanted to come back and then I'll hand back to Giles. One last thing, it's just the, the way the market is working at the moment. I, I'm not really convinced that the price signals come through early enough. So, for instance, if you wanted to build something like a pumped hydro plant and, and it wasn't the federal government that could, didn't really care about the economics, it's, it's not very obvious that you can get a price signal uh, out, of that, out of the market at the moment in, in time for that to be built, uh, if I can put it that way. Like, it's not economic if you had to be a merchant operator. So uh, I, I just wonder whether we shouldn't be developing the market in a completely different way to, to, the, to the way it's being done at the moment. So, you know, uh, as you know, one of my, my mantras is, is just this. I think that you can't expect to have, uh, when you have really, uh, you can't expect just one portion of the system to transform and others to stay s uh, stagnant. And that we need to think about the energy system as an interrelated system of systems. And part of these systems are both the financial markets as well as the market design and, and uh, the regulatory design as well as the, the technology, right? And so uh, clearly one of the values of, of the Energy Security Board and ability now for us as market bodies to work together and start thinking of and talking together is to say, Look, we, we need a market that's investable, and we need to make sure that the investment mechanisms themselves aren't biased towards certain technologies. And that's been one of AEMO's concerns is right now, the only business model entity that seems to be able to make a business model and attract investment, the only technologies are renewables. And that's not a bad thing, but if we need resources that are dispatchable and they take longer to develop and they need a different type of approach, we need to be talking about that as the investment bodies and then or, or market bodies, and then we need to obviously talk about it with COAG because that's or the Energy Council because that's that's exactly the type of thing you would expect with the three market bodies and the two independents to start thinking about. Well, is this? You know, we, we want to make sure this works going forward. And then separately from that is looking at the operating requirements because that also needs to change. And I think sometimes we conflate 
the issue of what we need to do to operate the system, some of the things you mentioned that people are looking at is ramping markets, uh, fresh frequency markets, uh, markets that, you know, being able to do reserves day ahead so that we can co-optimize better. All those things need to be thought, thought through. Demand response markets really need to be optimized well before advance of the day because cust customers, particularly industrial customers, need more notice. And so we have to think about all of that. And then we also have to think about that we're in a whole different world now where for the first time, probably in, since uh, modern energy, since post-World War II, we're seeing across really not just Australia, but all the OECD countries that we have a lot of uh, generators who are retiring because they're at the end of their useful lives, they're being replaced, but they're being replaced in an environment where demand growth isn't occurring, and you have very different technologies coming in that have very different needs. And so understanding that is going to be very important to make sure that we create the optimal investment requirement, and for consumers, what that means is that if we can provide that opportunity and the and the financial markets can see investing in Australia is a good bet, that it also drives down the cost of capital, which of course then inures to the benefits of consumers as well. So that's exactly why you know we're, we're very excited to have the Energy Security Board, the ability to really talk through these issues and say, well, these are should should all be common objectives. They shouldn't be. They should be pretty much apolitical because everyone should care about that. And then, what are the mechanisms we need to start talking about to put them in place so that we're we're really, as the technology is transforming, we're making sure that we have a fit for purpose investment vehicles and fit for purpose market vehicles. I've got a couple of questions about um, demand response and um, the Tesla big battery. Can I just first start off with demand response? Um, when that big initiative was announced with Arena, which, which I think is fantastic, there was an extraordinary pushback in some of the media um, and um, in the mainstream media. Were you disappointed and frustrated by that? I think there's a misunderstanding of demand response, you know, in general, because and, I, and it may be because of the lack of experience. People actually, I think, thought of it as that what we were going to be doing is going around and asking people to turn off their, you know, their lights and and turn and things like that. Um, hopefully, we'll, we've done some education. I know you guys have been trying to educate that we're really talking about uh, really managing machines better, if you think mm -hmm. about it and doing it in a way that if you orchestrate it, so if we, if we all individually turn out our lights uh, or turn down our air conditioners or the air conditioners rotate on and off, it uh, doesn't help A mode at, at all. But if we can do these things in concert, then we can actually help manage the grid and make it much more efficient. So it's, it's um, I think, getting to understand it. So I, you know, I, I think there is a bit of snarkiness, I would say, mm -hmm. about it, which is unfortunate because I think, you know, what my understand, people here in Australia, we really understand water conservation. And this isn't usually not using it. It's about not wasting it, which is, it's a very different um, opportunity. Well, we do, I suppose, and I guess it, I, I guess it goes to the whole sort of issue about trying to manage this energy transition and 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 um, and, and, and getting it sort of past those sort of people who who don't necessarily embrace it. And we've seen even um, to the same extent with the Tesla big battery and people downplaying it, saying how could it possibly power a state um, all by itself? Well, of course, it's not designed to. Can you just talk a little bit about the Tesla big battery and all the other bits of storage which are coming into the market in South Australia, which sounds exciting? Um, we've got the Wattle Hill battery storage plant coming up next May. 
I think it is, or possibly even March. Um, we've got lots of different storage um, being considered by at Wyala, pumped hydro and battery storage, even the solar thermal plant. And we're actually seeing South Australia operating in the last couple of months above 60% wind and solar. Um, can you just sort of talk about that, that a bit? Sure. So, you know, this, and this gets back to um, some of the things that I, I love about, you know, my current role and the opportunity we have. The, the technologies that we're seeing that come on, uh, in place in, in South Australia and Victoria and elsewhere are truly what I think are going to start setting um, the, the transformation that people are, start, are talking about in this industry. And it's, and it's about the fact that you now have these resources like wind and solar where before a system operator, you just couldn't manage the data in a very effective way. And now with the capabilities of using um, AI and big data and big information, we are and information better, we can start actually managing all these diverse resources in such a way that the co electricity becomes, in ma in many for many resources, a zero marginal cost product which is incredible mm. right? and so would, would it, come, it kind of just sort of redefines the way we've thought about energy right from the start right so the question is how do, how do we how do we make that transformation occur or transition in a seamless way which is of course a big piece of what uh dr finkel recognized that we needed to start thinking about that so what we're excited about is is the fact is you know the issue with electricity is it's a real-time product that requires the physics of the system to work, which means supply and demand have to always balance out. And I think most people who probably live in, listen to your podcast know that. And the game changer around storage is, is that now, for the first time, we could address the variability of these resources by using storage as opposed to keeping generators in reserve that we need to keep on just in case demand uh, changes or because we lose another generator. And it, it becomes really a game changer because that's the one thing that electricity hasn't had that uh, other commodities like gas and, and, uh, and water have. And so it allows us to make the system itself so much more efficient. So, and, and we're, you know, the emo to the opportunity to see how you can use these resources to uh, make wind firmer and solar firmer and demand uh, become a following resource as opposed to a followed resource really, really is the game changer for this industry. Can I just slip in another question before handing back to David? Um, dispatchable versus baseload. Can you just give us a very quick definition of either of them? Are they interchangeable? And will we, in the future, be dependent on baseload? Or will we actually move to a different, over time, a, a completely different system based around zero marginal or close to zero marginal cost generation with dispatchable um, generation in between? So I, I think um, one, one thing I would, I would say is that uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes is, uh, was the former head of the FCC, the Federal Commu uh, Communications Commission in, in the U.S., uh, made a comment once, that, and this was uh, 10 years ago, so this was in 2005, but it's probably even true now. If you go back to 1995 and brought back your smartphone and your various computers, they wouldn't work because none of this stuff was around, right? The Internet mm -hmm. was just in its infancy. That's not so long ago. And so to try to predict what all this is going to look like in the future, I think, you know, it's, it's, going to, it, it's going to be vastly different. But what that different is, we can imagine, but we really won't know till we get there. But that being said, I think that in answer to your question, to me, the issue for us as a system operator is we need to have visibility, right? 
situational mm -hmm. awareness, we need to have control because it is a physical system and we need to maintain balance. So dispatchability is the ability for us to have a resource that follows a dispatch signal. When we say we need one more megawatt or we some, something either goes down or something comes up. And the question that's becoming more and more prevalent is the speed of change because with an increased amount of renewables, it's a high degree of variability where before demand itself wasn't controllable it was fairly predictable. With, with increasing weathers becoming our greatest contingency, the wind stops blowing, the sun stops shining, we need resources to help balance and can move very quickly. Now, if we can solve that issue, and particularly if we solve it with storage, we still need a level of baseload. Now, baseload could be is really resources that, are, that have, uh, from a technical standpoint, have a high capital but very low marginal cost. So hydro mm -hmm. is a great baseload resource. So people shouldn't translate because I think people think baseload, they think coal. It's not any particular fuel source. It's just the capability to run flat out in a very efficient way over a long period of time. With and you don't like they don't like to move a lot, but they're they're very dependable. And if you can make the demand, you know, is de and and there's probably going to be an element of that that's always needed. And then there's going to be an element of resources that respond quickly. And, those, and there's some resources, like a battery, that you can just go like that and you know, snap your fingers and it increases or decreases. Demand does that, but it can't last for very long. So if a power plant falls over, we might be able to use that battery until we get that other plant charged up. And so it's, it is, and that's why I always use the analogy of an orchestra. These are all instruments, and what AEMO wants as a system operator is we want to make sure we, we, they are listening to our signals and responding to us so that they're working together and the collective whole is what, what creates the better result. So I might just jump in. Uh, I'd like to have a plug for an arena study I've been working on um, that talks about the cost of dispatchable renewable energy, but we can talk about that another time. Audrey, uh, I know we're running out of time, but I just quickly wanted to ask, if you look at the modelling from Frontier Economics that, that, uh, that the Energy Security Board presented to uh, COAG, it really didn't show any more coal plant closures uh, out to 2030. Uh, Tim Nelson from AGL uh, notes that around the world, only 1% of coal-fired plants are over 50 years old. And by my count, another 4,000 megawatts, three plants uh, will be 50 years old by 2030. Never mind the price reliability and dispatchability is the physical reliability. I mean, is that going to be a sad, I can't see that that's going to be a really satisfactory outcome if that's all we can get to. Well, I, I, th I don't, I don't suggest, I think that the frontier economics was a prediction. It was just an economic analysis of what could happen under the guarantee, under factual set of scenarios. As you know, that you know, that People are going to make economic decisions, and uh, closure decisions are sort of complex issues around what folks are forecasting in terms of capital needs, prices, and things like that. AEMO's looking at it from the standpoint that we, we have to begin thinking about what, how we're going to operate a system that looks a lot like as South Australia from the standpoint of a lot a lot more renewables and a lot more distributed energy resources because it will take time for us to develop the capabilities to manage that and so while we're, while we don't predict what that future will be 
it is certainly a scenario we have to plan for and we need to understand and as I said previously our job is to make sure that we can lean into the future of the engineering technologies and the needs of the system and be ready and make sure that just because of our n lack of understanding doesn't itself become a barrier to entry and a barrier to change. I, I see AEMO as very much an enabler of what the in innovations could be to get to the outcome, which of course is always getting to the optimal outcome for consumers around price and reliability consistent with public policy around envirom environment emissions and certainly access. Fantastic. Look, we'll probably have to wind up there, um, Audrey, because I know you're running out of time and we do appreciate your time. I've just got one last question. Um, <laughs> when you joined at um, AEMO at um, the start of the year, I think it was in March, you talked um, very confidently and, and quite passionately about this sort of transition to a, a smarter, cleaner, um, cheaper grid or um, in the future. Are you any more or less confident that this is actually going to happen now that you've been here for nearly a year? I, I, I absolutely am. I, I continue to think and I believe very strongly as I see uh, many of the things that are going on around Australia in terms of uh, the technology developments and, and certainly the uh, solar penetration, all, uh, that Australia is going to lead. We have to lead. And, and we're going to lead around how we can use these resources. How do we make this transition? And this is not a judgment about anything. It's just the reality that the economics have changed, the technology has changed, and resisting this change would have been, was, is a little bit like trying to resist the Internet. It, it, it's going to happen just because of where technology is moving. And, and we in Australia uh, need to look at, just like every other uh, country is, but I think we're, we're one of the first, how do we take advantage of, of all of these changes for the benefit of consumers? I do appreciate your time here. Thank you very much for joining us, Audrey. I'd love to talk for another half an hour because there's so much more to talk about, but um, um, thanks for joining us today. Sure, uh, thank you. And I'd like to add my thanks and uh, wish AEMO uh, and all its operators the very best for 2018 and particularly this summer. Thank you very much. And to you, happy holidays. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye-bye. And that was um, Audrey Zieberman, the CEO of the Australian Energy Market Operator. Um, thanks for listening in. Once again, you can leave a review on iTunes. Give us your feedback. We'd love to hear it. And goodbye for now. Bye-bye. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Watt Watchers, makers of ultra-smart devices to manage electricity use and costs. Accurately monitor and control electrical circuits over the internet in real time. Visit wattwatchers.com.au and take control of your energy use. Energy Insiders is also sponsored by SolarRay Energy, experts in solar PV, storage and monitoring. They're the smart choice for consumers and business. Visit solarray.com.au and secure your energy future today.